Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a wing you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. 
you'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Alright, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with an old friend. Tell me, who the fuck are you? What do you do? Well, uh, my name is uh, Pablito Perasoli. Uh, I'm a master parachute rigger, uh, a tandem examiner, and a little bit of everything. So, yeah, that's who the fuck I am. <laughs> a master rigger, a tandem examiner, and in possession of an epic mustache. Thank you. I appreciate that. That it's, is... Uh, we. We have to say thanks to Sammy. At, I always forget the name of that place um, the, the, that I always uh, used to go there to get uh, my haircut and uh, my shave from him. Well, I tell you what, Ray Racer shaving the world, man. I'm gonna have to make sure that the picture for this podcast, the thumbnail, is the picture of that mustache. It's got to be because you've been sporting <laughs> that for a while now. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, so actually, the whole mustache came up. Um, when I went to my mom's uh, 70th birthday, and uh, she wanted to have um, Western theme. And I cannot grow a beard because I have patches all over the place. Like, I'm very jealous of your beard <laughs> that I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even even when I was in the Middle East, I tried to actually grow a good beard, and I couldn't. Uh, so uh, I went to the cool barbers and all the staff, and they all like, like yeah, Habibi, uh, just mustache for you, huh? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So basically, I just grew as much as I can, and I just wanted to be the dirty cowboy for the party because nice. everybody was very well dressed, except for me. Like I had good dress, but my face just looked horrible. So when I went back to the Middle East, um, I went actually back to see Sammy, and he's like, "Habibi, I have something for you. You need to trust me." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you've been shaving me for a long time. You put a, a blade to my neck all the time. So whatever you say." <laughs> So he turns me around and he starts working. And uh, you know when you're looking at somebody working on you and like he's actually like making sure everything is symmetrical, everything. And he looks at it and he calls the other guy that it was always there that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Sammy's not here or whatever. So he calls him in and they are both looking and talking to each other. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we should. You know, like they I think argue for five minutes if they should turn me around or not yet. <laughs> and they turned me around, and uh, the mustache was not like this. It was more a little bit dirtier before. Yeah, yeah. And then with wax, slowly, I started making it into happen like this. It's very Doc Holiday. So, so it, uh, you hit the Western <laughs> theme quite well. It is very, very, very <laughs> Doc Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that uh, thanks to my mama. That well, was like six, six years ago. I love it. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, yeah. it works. So keep with it, man. Yeah, no, of course. So let's jump. <laughs> let's jump into it. I want you to uh, remind everybody um, how you got started and all this shit. What made you decide uh, that uh, your path was going to take you to being an adult man that likes to sew? <laughs> Which, um, well, if we're going to talk about sewing, um, so when I was young, I went on exchange uh, program to New Zealand uh, with American Field Services or AFS or another fat student, as they call it sometimes. Um, and, uh, that took me in a very awesome adventure. While I was there, um, I was, uh, what's the name? 
I had to take English classes and uh, I was going to repeat my high school year either way. Mm. So I did what every single um, lazy person would do at that moment. So I took home ec. Uh, they were like Spanish, I think, because I knew I could get an ace on it. Like I took all these super easy classes. Right. And uh, in Homec, uh, the lady, she puts me in front of a sewing machine and she's like, you need to learn how to sew because you never know. And I was like, okay, cool. So um, I started learning how to sew in Homec when I was 17 years old. And uh, then I went back to Argentina and there was one of the World Cups. And uh, my mom, the first time, one of the first times she came to the States, she bought me this um, fleece hat, you know, for snowboarding. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to copy something like that. So I went to the store, I bought fleece fabric, and I started making hats, and I made one with the Argentinian flag. And one of my friends saw it, and he liked it, and he's like, well, I want one. I'm like, well, this is how much it costs. <laughs> so I sold one, and then uh, not in too long, I think I made 20 hats uh, that I was selling to my friends. Nice. And um, that was actually, I put that on my back pocket, and I completely forgot. So um, then uh, time passed. Uh, my mom said, like, hey, you know, I have an opportunity for you if you want it. Uh, I can give you a green card if you want. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he's like, well, you can actually work in the United States. Hmm. I'm an American citizen. You can have that. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like an adventure. I remember telling her that. She's like, okay, let's do this. So um, we got me to the States. And um, after a while, I found a job. And in that job, uh, a new lady came into work. Her and her husband, they took me to the drop zone. Uh, it was at Skydive USA, Chuck Akers drop zone, uh, where, Justin, um, where Justin also works there. And I used to work there, and um, Justin Price. And um, then uh, I did my first jump. And uh, within like a few weeks after uh, my first jump, I remember one of my FF instructors was packing his reserve. Mm. And uh, I'm like, what are you doing, man? You need to be a rigger. Because I knew he was not a rigger. And he points at actually a my tandem instructor that was a master rigger. You know, and he's like, well, he's supervising me. And Ron goes like drinking a cup of coffee like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the typical drop zone thing at, at the beginning. You know, now it's a little bit more stricter than it was before. Sure. And um, he's like, so why do you do this? He's like, the truth is I don't trust anybody. And I'm like, I have trust issues too. Will you teach me? He's like, fuck off. Like, that was it. And I kid you not, next week, uh, there was, uh, what's the name, another kid, a new rigger that showed up to the drop zone that he wanted to teach somebody. Hmm. And that was it. Man, I mean, you know? it's, what? tell me, because I've always wanted to ask this, and I don't think I've ever gotten around to asking a rigger, especially not a master rigger, what is it that... Uh, um, you enjoy as much as you do. I would think looking at it from an outside perspective that it's the attention to detail and not not OCD, but just a, a bit of perfection because I've never met a rigger that's not a fucking perfectionist, at least with the stuff that he's churning out. So what is it that keeps you wanting to do what you do? Because it's hard work, man. I mean, it's, it's very detailed, time-consuming work. I work about seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, four days they are for the company that I work for, CPS, Complete Parachute Solutions. Um, and then I have my own personal company that is Sky Pirates. I haven't really had that day off now in probably since uh, the end of the shutdown from COVID. Wow. I may have half a day here and there. Um, what I truly the think that I enjoy the most is touching the fabrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the, right. 
All right. I, I really enjoy. I no seriously. Uh, I it just something like I, I just enjoy touching the fabrics. Like it just for me, it's uh, it's a ductile thing. All right. Also, it keeps uh, dexterity with my fingers. There's a lot of things that it has to do with that. And another thing is like um, I want to be successful at what I do. So the only way to be successful is to be good. Mm. And with the the line of work that I have, there's no second chances really. No. Uh, so no. I need to I need to do the best the best that I can at every single uh, at every given moment. One of the conversations that I have I always uh, with a lot of people, you know, like let's say pretty much outside aviation, you can have a bad day and uh, you can screw things up and uh, you can have several things happen and you'll be okay at the end of the day. Sure. Even when I'm having a horrible day, I need to be performing at a hundred percent. And yes. actually, that's what I like. Also, because it it pushes me to become a better version of myself every day. Now, let me ask you. you know? So that that mentality, have you had that from the start of your rigging career? Because I can, I, and, I mean, as a as a tandem instructor and an AFF instructor, I'd like to think that I was very thorough and I did a good job. But there were always those days where you're like, "Oh fuck, this one's close," or the AFF student that you're triple checking the uh, uh, AAD because for some reason something's nagging. But as a rigger, you've just packed this reserve and you watched it climb on an airplane that you're not on. There's no second checking anything. Once those flaps are closed and that pin is in, you've got to be sure of your work. So. Has it always been well, like this, or were there times back when you were uh, beginning that you're handing over a rig going, ooh? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I'm trying to I'm trying to put like the, the whole chain of thoughts in a, in, a, in a nice, understandable way. Sure. Uh, I always been kind of like a little bit of anal retentive. Let's put it that. <laughs> okay. uh, just you know, like I like things that certain way. Like right now, my house is a mess because I just was gone for like four weeks, and then I came back for two days. And I was gone for like another week. Mm. So I'm just right now catching up, to be honest with you. And like, I don't want to show you the floor because uh, <laughs> it just, it's a lot of gear right there that I'm going through. And, um, but I always was like, not a hundred percent neat freak. Like I have parts of, of my house that they are designed to be a mess. Right. But the parts that they are not designed to be a mess, if they are a mess, I get very upset real quick. Sure. So that is one of the nice things about rigging. Um, so I always had that, uh, rigging made it worse actually. Um, I bet. what's the name, but the other thing is like, there's, uh, one of the things that I always uh, say when I'm teaching rigging, you know, there's two types of riggers. You have the riggers that they lie about making mistakes and the riggers that they are honest about making mistakes. Mm. You know, I had many mistakes. I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. So if, if I tell you I did never made a mistake, I'll be lying my ass off right now. Sure. Um, and I had made mistakes, and every single mistake I have not made twice. Well, that is one of the things that I always make sure. Like, and the mistakes, they are just—they are not life uh, life-threatening mistakes. They are like I routed this this way. The proper way is this way, but this way works too. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Or no, like, no. or when I folded the bridle, I folded the opposite way. Or uh, when I let's say when I when I did like a harness, I put three partax besides four because I got confused that it was an aerodyne rig or a javelin rig. Sure. You know, like things like that sometimes happen, you know, but the thing is when I find it, I'm like, okay, cool. Next time I need to do this to check it. So I add extra steps to making sure when I'm building the harness that is proper to it. Sure. You know? Well, so but I mean, those, 
I would think for me personally, if if it's just my life at stake and I'm taking my own life into my hands, I'm not cavalier with it, but I'm maybe not as hardcore as I am as soon as there's another life involved. Um, it becomes worse for me in that way, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you've got, at any given time, I'm guessing you've got hundreds of reserve pack jobs that are out there being actively jumped. Man, I mean, it took me a while to kind of put that in perspective, and the only perspective I can come up with is it's like being a you know a pilot flying in a dozen different drop zones and not being able to keep an eye on everything that's going on. I mean, damn, that's a lot of responsibility. It is, and uh, to be honest with you, I... If I think about it, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, uh, so one of the, the worst things that happened to me, and I keep always bringing it, um, it was a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. Uh, it was a uh, late night. I had to do uh, four assemblies that night or three, I think. I don't remember. But it's a, it means a long night. Mm. And um, this semi pulls in front of the loft when I was uh, working at UPT. And uh, this cool guy comes out of the semi, you know, like we start ch- t- talking. He's like, are you Pablito? I'm like, yeah, well, one of my friends sends me to you. I need to get a repack. I'm on the road. I have here like two more hours, you know, and, um, you know, is it okay, you know, to hook you up? And of course I said, yes, because I want to help, you know, the guys, he's on a jump that sure. and he's just, he just got lucky that I was there. Right. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get the pack. And I used to use clamps to keep the risers around the yoke to get them nice and tight. Sure. Right? So I clamp that. Everything is done. I finish this three-pack. I'm counting my tools, and one clamp is missing. Oof. Okay. So I'm like, hey, just give me a minute. One of the clamps is missing. I open his rig. The clamp is not there. Okay. I finish his rig. I give it back to him, and I'm like, I hope you have a good night. Be safe. You know, whatever. He goes on the, on, on the road. And now I look at... Uh, three rigs that I just finished. Oh. The clamp must be somewhere there. Oh. And now we're talking it's 11 o'clock at night. Right. The rigs, the rigs need to ship tomorrow morning. So, okay. I open each rig. There's no clamps. What the fuck is the clamp? Because I remember using that clamp. So from that day on for six months, my heart was pounding. Mm. Like I would just wake up in the middle of the night, like what the fuck just happened? You know, like I, I don't like this, makes me uncomfortable. It just literally, it was the stress levels were like off, like I was jumping on everything. And that moment I stopped using clamps to do that. I, I, I figured out a different technique to accomplish the same thing, but better actually. It ended up, ended up being blessing in sure. disguise in a way. Sure. So in six months, I didn't get a phone call. And then I'm like, oh, shit, some rigs went to Europe. Oh, fuck, it's a year now. <laughs> so y- you know where this going. So for a whole year, everything, okay, clamp never showed up. Seriously, it never showed up. Wow. A year and a half to two years later, we are moving, right? We are moving from that building back to the main building at UPT. And I grab one of the, one of the bins that I had, like, projects. I pull it in, and the clamp goes. It slides in and out. <laughs> it's, I mean, do you laugh or cry? The, the fucking clamp. <laughs> yeah. There's a fucking clamp. It's one of them. I have four that they are the same. I still have the four, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That's one of them. Isn't, and, that, uh, isn't that funny? We hold on to these things that uh, um, potentially could have ruined our lives. I have the 
the uh, a pin that attaches the scissors nose wheel control for a twin otter that almost killed me, and that sits <laughs> that sits in my bedroom. I see that every fucking night. That little fucking thing almost killed me. But it's a reminder yeah. uh, to be better. Yeah, that, that is when I look at it, and it's funny because every single time, like I tell this story, and especially when I'm training new riggers, I'm like, hey man, you know, I I use tools. Some riggers will say that I use too many tools, but on the hundred percent of riggers, I am probably in the fifth percentile of using less tools. Mm. You know, because I don't like. I mean, I have all my tools to do repairs, but when it comes to packing, I use very little tools. I think it's like eight. That's it. Well, I mean, I've heard you know? over the years of stories like, uh, um, and I I know very little about what goes into it, but straps that were used that would go around the reserve that were left in. It's called the mother strap or the death strap. Yeah, so I've I've heard of that. That's you know, it's a rig has gone in for a repack and the strap is still there, and I can't even imagine because people fuck up, man. I mean, mistakes get made. Everybody's human, but wow, yeah. the stakes are so it's, high. Well. So the odds of a reserve ride are one in a thousand. <laughs> is, it, is it one in a thousand? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. That is the average. Or one in like, I think USPA just came up with a new number. It's like 697 or something like weird like that. All right. That is the, the, the odds on a reserve ride. I mean, how many jumps do you have? How many reserve rides do you have? Yeah, that those numbers don't match for me, but I know people that have. Lucky. Yeah, I know people that that have been getting all my reserve rides because I got people that have their fucking B license in reserve rides. But me, I've got you know a little <laughs> over ten thousand jumps and seven rides. So right there, you're like a, a it's one in a thousand and something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm I'm like about one in every five hundred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> or less. Or less. Well. I have almost 6,000 jumps, and I have for sure 13 reserve rides. All right. So. <laughs> All right. Well, so that, now that's the other thing, too, and this is kind of funny because uh, it's it's not gone unnoticed for me with riggers that for themselves, a lot of the riggers that I know are the sloppiest fucking packers and have the nastiest rigs. Is that just because you guys know it's actually all good on the inside? But because I've seen horrible pack jobs and loose BOCs and all kinds of shit on riggers gear. I cannot handle that. <laughs> I like I, I have issues with that. Uh, I'm grateful that uh, I don't have to like I I pay for gear. Uh, but I don't pay the retail prices. Sure. I get taken care of in a way, uh, you know. Sure. So I feel grateful for that, and that's why I keep rigor gear good. Um, to be honest with you, parachutes want to open. Yeah. They do want to open. Um, I I have not been part, but I've talked to the people that they were part of all the malfunctions, you know, for the photos for AFF. Right. And they had to sew things in place because they couldn't make them happen. Yeah. Like they line over, they grab a line, they brought it over the canopy and they tacked it. <laughs> so it will stay in place because they would put the line over the canopy and they will deploy and the line will come off every single time. So they had to tack a line over in place. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, that's good, right? That's really good. Yeah. It's parachutes. They really do want to open. Well, especially like, considering... Incredible. 
considering the gear that they were using in those old photos that we've all seen, um, that mm-hmm. gear was not nearly as reliable as what's being junked nowadays. So I can imagine yep. it's only gotten better. Although with malfunctions, I'm sure you've seen the same thing I have. Um, nowadays, it's a lot more common to chop a perfectly good flying canopy that's just spinning like a motherfucker. Whereas that never, well, that wasn't as big a thing when I was getting started. Well, the so the velo, if you have, let's just let's talk about brake fire. Sure. If you're on a on a docile canopy, you have a brake fire. You're like, okay, cool, brake fire, you rich. Right. You're in a tandem. You have this experience. Oh, they forgot to set the brake for whatever reason. You yep. reach, you pop, no problem. And then you have the velocity. <laughs> you have a brake fire and a velocity, and you're like, roller coaster, here we go, and I hope I survive. Yeah. That's basically how that one works, right? And uh, then it came the VK. And the first brake fire I had on a VK, um, I was uh, helping a friend in a 182 drop zone. I was main side on this AFF. He was reserve side on this AFF. And something happened, and I ended up being on the reserve side. And the guy, he just like, ah, oh, whatever. He's a very laid-back guy. So I remember it's pool time, and they, they start fighting over the pilot shoot. So I'm just looking there going like, what are you doing? And I see them going at it and the pilot shoot's still in there. Right. I'm like, okay, cool. I hear my 3,500 beep. I reach my pilot shoot. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, I, I think I need to do this part now because you guys are having a different fight. I pitch and the canopy feels weird. And I pitch like around probably 3,000 feet, maybe a little bit lower. And the canopy feels weird. And I'm just like looking at it going like, what is going on with it? Oh, Mm. there's a brake fire. Nothing weird. It just flew straight. It was incredible. Hmm. And every single time I had a brake fire on my VK, it's been the same. Wow. Very consistent. You just lean on the harness to the opposite side. That's it. Fair enough. It's just incredible. I haven't haven't suffered from a brake fire in quite a long time. But uh, um, I remember, (laughs) again, uh, I think it was... And I, I still have to guess that this is actually what happened because I only had 25 jumps and it was my first cutaway. I didn't pack the thing. Jumping rental gear at Paris Valley at, again, 25 <laughs> fucking jumps. Pitch, I'm turning, and fuck it. They said, pull here, pull here, and I cut away. And it could have been, we never confirmed, it could have been a break fire that I chopped for my very first reserve ride at 25 jumps. So. Hey, hey. Probably I mean, the, the, odds, the, the odds of that happening are pretty high. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you think about it. Well, you know, it's funny too because people kind of laugh and it, it gets a you get embarrassed if you say you did that way back when. I don't. I don't give a fuck. But uh, I had a friend who um, chopped a brake fire. And she was really beating herself up about it and giving, getting a lot of shit about it. And I pulled her to the side yeah. and I said, all right, let these people talk shit. My only question is, when you pulled the handles, did you think that cutting away and opening your reserve was the only way you were going to save your life? She said, yes. I'm all then, fuck every one of them. You did what you were supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I mean, you, you, you said it 100% right right there. It's uh, I just don't understand people making fun of people that they made a decision that is on the best interest. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've seen people making fun of people that cut away from line twists. <laughs> Number one, you don't know what circumstances were going on. Yep. You don't know how for how long they were fighting that line twist. 
you know, like you don't know any of that. You're not on that spot. Right. You know, I've been on Line Twist. I remember like um, this was, I was jumping in Hollister and actually was jump one South and 299. <laughs> and I had a break fire. No, because then I had another cutaway on jump uh, one South and 300. Of I had back to back cutaway and they were the same fucking thing. And it was because I was on the road and I didn't have access to a good sewing machine to fix the problem. Ah, That's, that was the thing that pissed me off the most. And, um, but I remember like I jump and I have, I have break fire. I'm on my back with one and a half line twist. I come out of half and then I end up with an other one and a half. So I end up with like three and a half line twist or two and a half, whatever. And I'm, I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. I literally I fought for about 30 seconds going like, I need to get rid of this thing, you know? And I'm like, shit, I have to pack my reserve. And that is the thing that actually is the worst part for me. I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. And I'm thinking of all the um, all the processes, like of what I need to deal with, sure, right? Sure. So I just remember I'm on my back, I'm like, God damn it, I don't. Ah, oh, fuck. I cut away, you know, cool, excellent. And if you ever been to Hollister, California, I have, yeah. Um, the airport it's seven miles away from the landing zone. In the middle, there's a golf course, and there's like a little valley there. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm in between the airport and the drop zone. Um, and uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow my stuff. So I'm looking at my main and my free bike going down because I can go deep in brakes. I'm like, cool, perfect. It landed on this beautiful front yard. I'm going to land right in front of it. And at the time I'm, at the time I'm doing my pattern, I realize that the house is on an angle. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like do this weird 180 almost turn. I lift my feet. My butt hits the fence. And I carved the canopy. I remember, like, I'm carving the canopy wildly to the left, to the right, because like the house is right there. But you know, also, and there's a tree coming at my face, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, this is not good at all. So I kind of like, you know, finish everything. You know, I pick up my stuff, and the lady comes in, like, I thought that you were dead because <laughs> she saw the whole thing happening. I'm like, no, I'm just picking up my stuff. It's like, oh, cool, thanks. Yep. You need me to do something? And I'm like, uh, well. Can you take me to the road down there so I can get on the bus when we go back to the drop zone? And she's like, you're like very calm about this. And I'm like, well, it's a malfunction. I'm alive. I'm kicking. I'm dancing. Life is good, you know? She actually uh, <laughs> sounds like she was pretty calm too because, I mean, we've all seen the the non-skydivers that see the cutaway canopy coming down assuming that they're watching a skydiver die. Uh, we got a phone call not too long ago here in the land about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I just saw well, – see, now that's that actually surprises me because in a place like DeLand where it's about as – I mean, skydiving is a staple in DeLand. How do people still not know? It's um, – you'll be surprised how many people – like I talk to people and they have no idea that skydiving is the mecca of skydiving in the world. I mean, you really? have the major manufacturers here, the majority of the research uh, that comes out of the land – it gets transferred to the world, you know. It's a, uh, it's an amazing place, and uh, like majority of people have no idea, man. People well, like what I'm learning is people don't really care. Like they are yeah. just so much into only little bubble that, like this is it. Like you know, like they are just like completely involved on themselves. And they don't care about anything else. I mean, I suppose I understand to some degree. I, I, I'd i say probably a good 25% of the people that I've uh, had on the show uh, talk about the drop zone that they made their first jump at that was right next to their home that they didn't know was there until. And, and I was yep. the same. I mean, there was a drop zone. Um, Skydance skydiving was a 25-minute drive from my front door, the place where I grew up. And I didn't know it was yeah. there until I got hired to work there. 
that is amazing. Yeah. I didn't have a clue. I'd been a scout ever for years by then. And I'm like, wait, there's a, there's a drop zone like right there. Holy shit. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, we don't, we don't think about those things. Like actually like this makes me think my mom used to like, we used to have skydiving in my hometown in Argentina. I don't remember. I was a, I was a young child. Uh, but she always used to tell me that I used to love watching the people come in the wrong canopies. Mm. Well, now, <laughs> you know, Remind me, because there was, and, and you may have already brushed on it before, but when we talked before, your mom was pretty integral in your starting the whole skydiving world, because she really pushed you towards going for the adventure, right? Or she was against she, it? Well, she wanted she wanted me to do adventures, but uh, she's terrified of danger. <laughs> so it's not that she pushed me towards it. She actually, uh, actually, so funny, uh, not too long ago, I was at her place with my girlfriend and... Um, you know, like my mom always likes to, she, she loves to say that uh, she's proud of me because of what I've done. Um, and I'm like, your mom, you didn't talk to me for about a year when I started jumping because you were, you were thinking that I was retarded, you know, <laughs> that I was irresponsible and I was crazy because of whatever thing you read in the news once <laughs> or something. Because my mom reads, right. like you give her a book, it's a thousand pages. She starts reading at 10 o'clock at night. She's done by six o'clock in the morning. Sure. And she's like, I just finished this book. So my mom, she's incredible. She knows so much, but she was terrified because I thought I was stupid. And um, then, like, I remember, I'm like, hey, mom, I'm going to the Christmas boogie at Eloy. You know, it's like about a two-hour drive from your house. If you want to see me, I'll be there. You know, I don't have a car. Somebody's driving me and somebody's driving me back. So I'm just in the middle. You know, I'm just, like, at the mercy of other people. Right. And uh, they showed up there, like, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And they didn't even look for me. They just sit down on the benches. You know how they have the benches in front of the landing area? Sure. And they had a little picnic there, and they were just looking at people jumping all day long. Wow. And around lunchtime, as I'm coming in, my mom grabs me. It's like, so nice to see you doing something that you love. And I love to see how professional you guys are, you know, how organized this is. Because it was a busy boogie. I think we were jumping from two orders and also the sky band. So it was... You know, there was a lot of movement. Sure. And uh, she's like, you know, like, I, I thought that, you know, that you were a little bit on the dumb side by doing this, but <laughs> I respect this. Let's go for lunch. <laughs> and uh, it was actually at that moment is when, for me, it felt that it was the right thing to do. That's 100%. Awesome. I, I knew I wanted to do it, but, you know, like family is it's very important on, on anybody, even if they say, I don't give a shit about my parents. They do. They say that is because they do give a shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I was, uh, <laughs> you know, I was lucky. My, well, I don't know. I never really discussed it too much with my dad, but my mom was one hundred percent behind the whole skydiving thing because I'd been a fucking stripper for years by then. You know, I mean, she was just glad I was leaving my pants on. <laughs> so, I was, I was just watching that the photo when you were with all the guys. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> fucking Facebook pops up all these goddamn memories and that one came up and I'm like, all right, fuck it. If you can't make fun of yourself, you can't make fun of anybody. So I might as well, cause it's just ridiculous. So yeah, it was kind of funny being able to goof around about stuff like that. Cause I don't, there's very few people in the world that knew me back when I was still doing that. So a lot of the people, I think they're, they just think I'm full of shit. <laughs> Which I am, but they they think I'm full of shit like I didn't do it. And then a picture comes up and they're like, oh, dude, seriously? <laughs> yeah, man. but that, that, that is a beauty. That, actually, that is my favorite part of this sport. Yeah. That it's, you meet people from all kind of lives, from all kind of places, 
you just meet amazing people all the time. Yeah. Like, I love that from the sport. Yeah, I think, you know? <laughs> the, I think the great thing about it, too, is it really busts down all the cultural bullshit. Because, I mean, um, we're brought up to think that people from certain places are going to behave in certain ways. And to some degree, everybody... It, they adhere to the culture somewhat, but skydivers yeah. have their own culture. So you get to find out what those people are really about because we adopt our own little culture. Skydiving is its own world. You know, I like, mean, you know so much about someone. As soon as you find out they're a fellow skydiver, that already tells you a pretty good chunk about that as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like one of my favorite things about skydiving, I know very important people in the world mm. that most people, they're like, oh, my God, you know, like they are so and so and so and so and so and so. And when I met them, I thought that they were completely broke because they were wearing the dirtiest shorts and the, the broken T-shirt. Right. And like, you know, they probably didn't shower for two or three days, you know, and you're like, you're who? You, no, no shit. You yeah. know, and you're just looking at them going like, you make no sense right now, man. Right. Like seriously, because every single time you see them, they're always like on suits. Like I have, I've seen some of people that I work with skydiving that I see them in real life by accident and I don't recognize them. They're like, hey, Pablito, what's up? And I'm like, no shit, dude. What, what happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's what I love from the sport. Yeah. I mean, because there's a number of people uh, um, in skydiving that don't, that aren't in the life 100% like you and I are that make our, that make their livings from it. They actually still have to, you know, dip yeah. their toes in the real world. Um, yeah. And you see them in the real world and it doesn't match. You're like, wait, wait, no, that's, that's not right. No. Yeah. Um- <laughs> They actually, the only one that matched 100% in and off, it was uh, Schumacher when I met him. Oh, yeah? He was, he was, he was just, he was, you know, like, like oh, super clean, everything perfect. Like the jumpsuit was like tailored 100%, like he's right, like, like he's, everything was, I'm just looking at that guy going like, uh, I guess you're Schumacher because you look exactly like him and you dress. I will even admit. Even you're skydiving. I will you admit, because like <laughs> I, I, I think that was when you and I were working together, because I met him as well. He was out jumping with his son, and I remember thinking the same thing, is that, wow, he is just extremely put together. <laughs> like Yeah, like I was like, he looked like the like the super cool kid going to the plane. Yeah. Like I was just looking at that going like, you make no sense, my friend. Uh, nice <laughs> to meet you. I'm Pablo. If you need any rigging that I'm sure you're not going to use me because you don't know me, uh, but I'm here to help you out. Uh, bye. Have a good day. And yep. I walked away. Well, that was it. And most people, though, if they're jumpers, especially if they're active jumpers like he was, they're generally pretty damn low key when they're at the drop zone. Although, I mean, somebody of his stature, uh, he had his guard up a little bit. Um, like he didn't want to. Uh, I remember, uh, I forget who told me, but basically the gist was he didn't want to do selfies. He didn't want to sign anything. He was like, no. I'm at the drop zone because I'm a skydiver. I just want to jump out of airplanes and have fun. Yeah. I'm not the guy that drives fast and and stuff like that just let's let's yeah. just go let's go skydive which is super cool yeah Touch it, but yeah no like yeah like i, I literally like for me it was quick uh, he was nice you know uh but that was it you yeah. know like uh that was that was like okay nice to meet you man but like i remember looking at him <laughs> like he looked like he was yeah he was just ready to go racing sure you sure. know the only thing he didn't have the huge helmet and the neck brace thing that they got those All right were. right but everything else i'm just like even the shoes, like it was just like perfect. Well, you know, like it's, somebody. Actually- <laughs> it's kind of funny because uh, um, I've talked to Luis from uh, Liquid Sky Designs the jumpsuits as well as he does the cart suits, the the uh, racing suits yeah. for driving. Yeah. Um, and 
you can see the parallels. Like I think it was it was Oregon suits first that did suits that started looking like the racing suits. They had yep. the cuffed uh, ankles instead of just being Velcroed at the ankles and the wrists. Everything was cuffed and everything looked very put together, which was funny because that came right on the heels of you weren't a good skydiver unless you looked like a complete dirtbag. <laughs> you remember that, right? <laughs> That was 2001 to 2005. Yeah, man. If your rig was even, <laughs> it, it had to be fucking filthy. You were wearing shitty, ratty clothes, and that meant that you were a badass skydiver. If you showed up in yeah. a clean jumpsuit with a, a freshly brushed rig, people wouldn't go anywhere near you. Oh, there's a new guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's flipped so much because now... It's all about being put together and, and uh, everything, you know, I mean, everything is so well produced and between the jumpsuits and the rigs and all this stuff, man, I mean, you look one, like you're part of a team. One of the things that actually that I do, not a lot, and I only do it to certain people because I know how they are, like I customize their toggles, uh, the little top for the RSL to match the rig. Uh, to make sure that there's no off colors. You customized like my like, fucking cutaway and reserve handle. Well, um, <laughs> so it's super funny about that. Um, so I remember uh, I was at the loft and this guy is like, oh yeah, look at my rig. Uh, you can order whatever fucking candles you want. And I'm like, okay, neon pink it is. And you're like, ha 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 ha, yeah. Like, what, what did you get? <laughs> yeah, I got fucking neon pink. <laughs> well, But you know what? It fits the princess so good. It was, what can I say? Uh, it was the perfect color for that rig. There's no doubt about it. Because I had I had bought the the rig from Julian, and it was this bright white, perfectly white rig, really clean white rig. And then you bought those goddamn neon pink cutaway and reserve handles. Holy so shit! So beautiful, man. Well, but I couldn't I, bitch because it was the same time that you were putting those handles on that you threw a Velo 103 at me and said, "Go have fun." Yeah. So, but yeah, no, seriously, like that was actually, I still think about that. And two weeks ago, one guy comes to the and says, Hey, Pablo, can you, can you put a new, uh, what's the name, um, handle for my pilot shoot? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm thinking no problem. He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about the color. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you do. You have no idea what you just said, especially to me. <laughs> and I told him the story about you. And I'm like, dude. The freaking uh, one of the pilot keys comes with this white rig. Like he's like, I don't give a shit about the colors. And he got neon pinks. He's like, and he just looked at me with the like, you know, with the stare going like, oh, you're not gonna do that to me. <laughs> so I did that one up on him. I look at his rig and he had the woodland camo, you know, like the old camouflage. Yeah. And I made the handle the same thing. So I'm chasing him at the drop zone, going like, hey, dude, let me show you the rig. And he's like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't have time for this. I don't want to see it, man. I'm sure that you are messing with me. And I showed it to him, and he almost started crying because I matched the handle. Oh, <laughs> look at you, you big softy. You took it easy on him. Of oh. course. But he opened the door. I mean, like he's a good guy. He has a good heart, so I couldn't, I couldn't make him cry. Well, I, and I, I, I want to be able to say that all skydivers have thick skins and can handle it, but that's not ex actually true. <laughs> Nah, actually, we're all softies, man. Right? We right. all are all softies. I mean, yeah. So, you know, like, so here. Go ahead, go ahead. Here in, here in the land, something sad happened. Uh, one of the legends, mm. uh, he actually passed away in an accident, uh, Carl Doherty. Yeah. And uh, I miss the fucker, to be honest with you. Like, I, my nipples are so happy he's gone. 
because he used to pinch them so hard all the fucking time. Like they used to bleed once in a while. So that's the only part of my body that is like grateful that he's gone. Mm. But I miss the fucker so much. Sure. Uh, going to the drop zone is not the same. And uh, I never seen people quit skydiving because of it. And uh, two people actually stopped jumping because of that. Wow. And people that they've been on the sport for years that they're like, I'm done. That's it. I'm, I'm out. Well, we've and lost I, a few. Like, we've lost a few legends lately and it sucks, man. It sucks. Yeah. I mean, Rocky. Rocky Evans and Carl, like, I mean, those Carl had more world records than anybody in the world, man. Yeah. He had 20,000 jumps. He's been jumping for over 50 years, you know, and it was an accident. And I, I saw the guy that, you know, that he had the incident with and it was his AFF instructor. Carl was his AFF instructor. So like, I feel so sorry for him, you know, uh, but it just like seeing seeing like how how it affected like I didn't think it was gonna affect me as, affect me as much and for a whole week I was like on the blues like it was like yeah. fuck you know and like it's funny because like I used to like just go to the drop zone to talk shit to him mm. like I go like you know Guten Morgen Carl and he'll start talking to me in German I'm like I have no fucking idea what the fuck <laughs> you're talking about man <laughs> you know and we used to go back and forth a lot and uh, you know it just it just such a such a thing and i i realize how how actually how certain people affect us and makes us be big softies sure you know sure. like for a whole week i was just fuck you know i'm just like what just happened here like i could not comprehend it right well you know what i found is that uh, um my go-to reaction when there's a, a loss is to play the gruff skydiver that you know will throw the jokes out when it's time and and pretend like it's not getting to you and then for however long you're just off just something's not right and Yep. part of you doesn't want to admit that you're off because a friend of yours just died um, because it's yeah. it's we, uh, we've we've chosen a lifestyle that we know it means we're going to lose people that's just how it is you know um yeah. and in order to i think come to grips with that you have to get that thick skin but sometimes you realize you think your skin is not nearly as thick as you think it is and it starts biting you you know and it's um yeah even old friends, you know, I, um, Kevin Love, um, when he passed away not that long ago, that was a really difficult one because he and I were extremely close for, um, you know, a while living in Vegas, but we had lost touch for years and years. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm finding myself thinking of all these old memories over and over again. And then I just had a shitty couple of weeks and I couldn't figure out why. And then I'm like, duh, one of the closest friends you ever had is dead. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna fuck with you, and and I don't think we acknowledge it as much as we think we do. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. I mean, uh, so for me, COVID was hard. I lost uh, my favorite aunt, ah. you know, uh, and uh, I, she she actually didn't die from COVID. She died from pneumonia afterwards. Oh wow! And I never heard my dad cry, hmm. and actually, that that for me was like my dad crying was like, oh shit, something. It's uh oh fuck. Yeah, you know, and um. The other part is like I couldn't go to say goodbye or anything like that. And, uh, you know, like that affected me a lot. And I knew it was going to affect me and everything. Sure. But Carl, I did not expect it. Like I was like completely, I just got signed blighted by it. Sure. And I was like, what the fuck just happened here? Yeah. For a whole week. And I'm talking to my boss and I'm like, hey, dude, you know, I'm not 100% here. It's like, yeah, Carl, isn't it? I'm like, yep. I did not expect this to happen to me. Like yep. he's like, yep. You know, he's like, he was close to Jessica. He's like, same thing happened to me with Jessica, you know, like 
when she passed and uh, I just I just couldn't deal with it. It was hard. You know, like for a whole week, I was like, I, I took half a day off of work. So if you need to go home and deal with it, you can, you know, like I completely understand what, what you're feeling. I'm like, no, if I go home, it's going to be worse. So I sure. need to focus on something right now. Sure. Yeah. It's funny because every time uh, it comes up, it seems to come in a different form. You have to deal yeah. with it in a different way. I mean, for as common as the experience gets, if you're in the sport for any length of time, um, the way that you react is different every time. I mean, I've had ones yeah. that drop me to my knees, and I've had ones that I, you know, laughed through until months later before it just kind of thumped me on the head. And so it's really weird. Yeah, I think part of it is because most of the time with um, with this, we don't have closure. It's very odd or very unusual, I should say, to be on the same drop zone as a friend you've lost when you've been in the sport as long as you and I have. Yeah, you know, if that's I, it's true. If I lose friends, it's it's they're probably on the other side of the planet, and so part of my mind never lets go, and I'm waiting for them to show up for a load, or I'm waiting for a message, or you'll think, oh fuck, I gotta call so and so to. T oh no, can't do that, because yeah, you weren't there for the <laughs> memorial. There's no closure. It's very strange. It's very strange. It was amazing for Carl's memorial. So the accident happened on Sunday, on that Monday afternoon. There were over 200 people at the drop zone. Wow. And it was just not local people. Huh? Like there were planes flying in with people. And yep. like I just remember, and as I'm walking around, I'm talking to one of my friends. And I'm like, the legends, the the years of experience that we have right now in the land. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's amazing. Like it was just looking around the drop zone. It was just thousands of years of experience. It's so heartwarming, it was, though, when you see something like that, right? It was beautiful. Like yeah. it was beautiful. They did a they did a beautiful uh, um, for plane formation coming in. Nice. Uh, like they just flew right. Uh, like with smoke, everything just flew right in front, and then they came around and they did a, they did kind of like a one like actually a two seventy was more like it, and then they did the missing man formation. Oh, nice! And it was so it was so beautiful. It's, I mean, it, it was. It, it really is super warming when you see something like that, and you see that uh, someone's had such an effect. Uh, I've only been to one, uh, two memorials that were really touching like that, but one that really caught me off guard was for a guy by the name of Donnie Brown who jumped in uh, Skydance and Northern California jumper. Okay. Just a fucking wonderful guy. One of those guys. And and I know that gets yeah. said about everybody that's gone, but he was just one of those guys. And I actually was working for the airline in the Caribbean at the time, and I had some time off. So I flew from the Caribbean back to Northern California to be able to go to the memorial. Oh, wow. And I walk into uh, the hangar where they were having the memorial, and it was fucking stuffed with people. Just, and not all skydivers, of course, but hundreds of people there. Just this really wonderful um, memorial the entire time. And then they finished it off with a massive him, him, fuck him, which, of course, <laughs> exactly. Nobody, nobody but skydivers understand it. And that had all of us laughing and in tears at the same time. And everybody that's been at something like that knows what it's like to laugh and cry at the exact same time. But just such yeah. a wonderful send off to, you know, uh, such a spectacular person. And I'd imagine that Carl's was the same. Oh, actually, they finished with the him, him, pack him. It was nice. Yeah. Because I, I, I was, I just literally walking through the bar and I heard it, like just <laughs> walking right to the outside. And I was like, fuck yeah, that is, that is perfect for him. Exactly. He, right. He had a lot of the little, like, old sayings. Like, every single day, the fucker would show up to the drop zone. 
and just scream from the bottom of his lungs something stupid. Right. You know, like just like do a howl or something like that. And I'm looking at this guy going like, this guy's been jumping for 50 years and feels like that. This is fucking awesome. Right. You know, it's like, hey, good morning, Carl. It's like, good morning. And he'll just scream something weird. You know, you're like, okay, Carl, hi. <laughs> you have to love it, man. It's it's a it's a yeah. kind of a, a infectious energy that some people have. I was lucky enough to uh, uh, to talk to Mo Valletto not too long before he passed away. And same thing. You're talking about this wealth of experience and the craziest off-the-wall sayings and the the old timer shit that just some of the stuff that they were doing back in his day you're like wow okay couldn't do that anymore <laughs> you know? that 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 is what actually I was not too long ago I was thinking about how much I miss the bonfire yeah like that is like one of the things that it's kind of like gone yeah even even in small drop zones now like the the whole old traditions like. I want to go to an SCR ceremony. Yeah. I want to go and put some fucking beer on somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, but those things are not happening anymore, really. It's it just, it's it, so weird. Do you think it's, I mean, I know it's been happening or not happening because of COVID, but has it been happening even before then? Because. Before then, yeah, yeah. It just, that's like shame. the whole, old tra- the old traditions are kind of like, I mean, it's completely not true. There's like, there's an evolution to it. Yeah. I mean, remember, like, probably, like, on the 50s and 60s when people used to skydive, they used to freaking tag the airborne wings to their chest and, right. you know, bleed, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you made it. Uh, we are not to that level, but, you know, like, the, the whole, like, oh, shit, there I was. Like, I had to explain to somebody why you buy beer. And they were, like, looking at me like, well, it kind of makes sense. Right. I'm like, no, you just had a first experience, you know, because, like, they were talking about the first, and I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you, like, because you just jump a jumpsuit for the first time, you don't fucking buy beer for that. Right. That's bullshit. Right. You know? But now, let's say you had your first malfunction. Fuck yeah, you land be- you buy beer for that. Why? Because you're going to grab the old experienced people. You're going to give them a beer for them to drink while you tell them the story of what happened to you. And at that moment, they're going to transfer the information that they have to you of their experiences with that. Yeah, man. You know? So it's it's um it's a rite of passage. Yeah, kind for of sure. Thing. Well, and it's you it's know? a wonderful way to exchange the knowledge and the experience that so many people get, and it's passed down. And of course, the bonfire is also a good opportunity to just go get goofy with the people that you're out skydiving with, or shoot the yeah. shit. Or that was the whole premise behind exactly what you and I are doing now is the opportunity for people to eavesdrop on an experience, yeah. you know, on a conversation with somebody that does something maybe that they don't do or has a a different yeah. take on it. And so it's a shame that the bonfires are kind of going by the wayside. Yeah, well, I mean, like, there's a few drops here in the States. Like, the, the best one at the moment is the Tiki one in New England, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that they burned the entire couch and the entire Tiki bar and, like, the party there. And they have this, whatever, jungle juice, I think it's called. Uh, I don't remember much. <laughs> Let's put it at jungle juice. <laughs> right. I don't remember much of that night. But it's a, it's an amazing experience. But it's very localized, sure. you know. Like, it's not it's not like a spread thing that... You know, you're done jumping at the end of the day. You look around, you know, you just sit there. Like, I don't drink anymore, but, you know, like you have your beer or whatever you drink. And you're just communicating with somebody about something that you're passionate about, you know? Yeah, for sure. And now one of the things that I'm noticing in the sport is becoming kind of like what four-way used to be, but with angle flying. Sure, sure. You know, like 
there was a the other day there was a load the the clouds were kind of like playing around and um the belly the angle flyers didn't get out because they didn't want to come straight down <laughs> they didn't want to change their plan and when i heard that i was like who the fuck was the leader of that because i want to go punch him yeah you get an opportunity to skydive you jump out of the fucking plane yes you get the fuck out of the plane and like even like they even they dropped down to a hop and pop and they didn't want to change their plan so people had to go around the fucking guys that they are the back of the plane getting ready to get out so they can do a hop and pop <sighs> what a sh- yeah like absolutely broke my heart like when i heard that oh yeah yeah the, the angle flyers they they just you know they didn't want to change the plan because they had this beautiful complex jump you get a fucking free jump yeah enjoy so you, it do you do it on the next fucking load or the next exactly. one or the one after that yeah oh. i was actually actually i was um I, I was working, uh, so at CPS, we train, uh, we train military guys. And um, in one of the jumps, like once the students do something, then pretty much it's you, uh, you by yourself. But I was being shadowed by somebody to make sure that I'm, I know what I'm doing or that I do what I say that I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair you enough. <laughs> and uh, uh, this guy, he's an amazing flyer, um, Ty Lucy. I, I don't know if you know him. He's from Eloy. He was in Arsenal, like an amazing, like he's one of the gods on skydiving that you're like, I want to be as cool as you are. Sure. You know, on your worst day. Sure. Because <laughs> on your best day, I don't think I ever can touch that. And for eight jumps a day, like the student does his things and then he might just do our thing, right? Right. We did transitions, uh, we tracked, we angle fly, we did everything you can imagine in eight jumps. Hmm. And I haven't had that much fun jumping in a long time because it was just amazing. Sure. You know, it's like, what are we doing at the next time? It's like, whatever we feel like it. That's yeah. what he said. And I'm like, awesome. We were doing egos, we were doing everything we could do. Like in one of the jumps, like, you know, like the student does his thing, I get on my back. The fucker comes, grabs me, and flips me. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, well, I haven't rolled anybody in a long time, so I wanted to practice. And I'm like, fuck you. Those were but always my favorite was- jumps were always the just zero plan, get out the door, go have fun on the skydive. Those were always the ones that – because it takes all the uh, all the pressure and expectation out of it, right? Your only expectation is to go have fun. That's it. That's the f- – that's what I got into it for in the first place. All right, I'm going to roll out of this airplane. Let's just go have some fun. That's it, you know. But like now, again, like it, it's amazing because I remember when I started skydiving, I was one of the free flyers. Oh, you're breaking the rules. And, right. You know, you're doing like you're one of like the dark side and all that stuff. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? I just want to have a good time, right? Right. But then I used to pack. So I used to see the four-way guys wake up at like 5 o'clock in the morning Come back from a run and a workout. Let's go train. Right. And they'll train, you know. And I'm like, going like, what's wrong with these people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And then kind of like the the angle flyers, free flyers are kind of like going on that route. And I remember a long time ago, I had a conversation with somebody that he was like a very hardcore four-way guy going like, you free flyers are going on the same route we are going. Yeah. We were going. And you're going to get to the same level we are. You'll see. It took freaking 15 years to happen. And 
it's happening. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's definitely happening. I see the the kind of drive and determination, and don't get me wrong, I applaud it, and I think it's amazing. Yeah. But I also think that the ones that get a little too hardcore forget or lose out on what they got into it for in the first place. You know, yeah. and I'm sure you've seen it as well. You see people that as soon as the sun goes down, there's no bonfire because they've just thrown their gear in a locker so that they can race to the tunnel to practice the shit that they're going to do in the sky again. Not because it's fun, but because they're trying to nail that perfect move or nail this routine or that routine. And again, I applaud it if they've got a goal they're going for, but if they're just doing it to be perfect... I like sucking because that means I've always got something to learn. <laughs> and also to have fun with. Yeah, man. You know? I like, get out and have a good time. There's no pressure on me because if somebody's going to fuck up the skydive, it's probably going to be me. So when I don't, woohoo! <laughs> but, so every single time I go to jump at uh, in Arizona, uh, it's fun. they make fun of my landings. Because here in the land, I'm comfortable with the air. It's nice and humid. Sure. So, you know, you're not really going as fast as you're going with the canopy. Right. Even if you push it super hard, you know, you don't get that extra thing. But then you go to Arizona and you're like at 1,800 feet or whatever it is. The air is thinner. It's super dry. So the canopy fucking holds us, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the landing area, there's a little patch of grass. You know, that everybody tries to make it to, but then everything else is this hard gravel ground. Right. That it's worse than concrete. You know, like once I, I jump with gloves there because my hands love me. Because if not, like I'm, my hands end up just like all destroyed. Right. You know, so the first pretty much two days of jumping, my landings are horrible. I'm coming in, I'm holding ass. I'm like, I nailed the turn. Perfect. Oh shit, I need to stop now. <laughs> so like on my head, I'm going like touchdown, touchdown. You know, so I'm thinking about like almost touchdown. Okay, feet on the ground, good. And the gravel, I feel it like yep. right. And then like I get half layer, I'm like, okay, grass. Just pop over the grass. And then at the moment my feet touch the grass, I drop everything and I just try to grab the grass to stop. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm alive, I'm alive. Okay, let's go do this again. <laughs> so you know, you have people like that. It's like, Pablo, what the fuck did you learn how to fly a canopy, man? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm getting used to it again, okay? Just let me be, man. Yeah, it's I'm my like, process. It takes I'm, two days. I'm taking my time. <laughs> it's all good. I'll still be walking at the end of the week. That's the goal, right? <laughs> That's it. You know, and then by the end of it, I'm doing like all this stupid stuff, you know, like I'm like I'm comfortable again. So like I'm like already playing. But in, it's funny because that's the only place in the world that I do it in my mind. I'm going through like all the stages for the landing. I'm like, okay, if turn cam finishes, altitude looks good, a little bit of rears, input, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we're level off, good. Start the flare, start the flare, touchdown, touchdown. We're touching down, we're touching down, hands down, 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 finish the flare, finish, 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 finish. And like, I'm telling that to myself like sure. a freaking idiot, nonstop. And then I'm like, okay, that was good, that was good. Let's do it again. <laughs> you know, but I keep repeating it on my head over and over. Because like here, like sometimes you don't finish the flare, but because everything is a little bit slower, yeah, you know, Big, you just take two or three steps, you know. Well, but and there you don't have that. You and I are a bit <laughs> a bit the same in that. I'm I'm a little on the uh, the cautious side, especially when I'm trying to get back into th uh, either whether I'm getting back into jumping in general or getting into a new groove or and uh, like when I started yeah. jumping again, uh, I think I was jumping a one fifty. Um, and I was bored, but I'm like, I don't, um, well, no, I was jumping either a 135 or a 150 and, uh, was it um, a uh, what the fuck was I jumping at the time? I don't remember what it was cause it was borrowed gear. 
and I was trying okay. to build a rig together, and I was taking it super mellow. I'm like, oh, I don't need to jump small, fast canopies anymore. But, of course, then I'm jumping for a week going, all right, this is kind of boring. I kind of want something a little bit faster. <laughs> And you were the one that was like, well, you used to fly a, a Vila 103, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah. And then you were the one that just threw the bag at me and went, go fucking skydive. <laughs> that's it, man. Yeah, that's it. It's so. like, it's it's kind of like, a, it's like people say it's like riding a bicycle. It's not really like riding a bicycle. It's kind of like going back to the norm. Yeah. 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 You know? Well, and I think I came in that same day and went back to you and went, oh, thank you. Okay. That felt normal. <laughs> that felt good. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to I mean, ask, as we get towards the end of things, rigging for as long as you have, all the sharp shit, all the different ways to injure yourself, what's the most fucked up you've ever hurt yourself rigging? Have you ever shoved a needle through a thumb or something like that? Because those machines terrify me. Okay. Um, you see that scar right there on the thumb? I do. Yeah, that's a nice looking scar. That okay. Is a, that is from my harness machine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's a vicious looking machine, dude. The harness machines yeah, look is. like a torture device from middle medieval times. Well, um, so let me show you my, my love here real quick. This is part of it. Uh, just some stuff fell off. Now make so, sure you're uh, describing as you go. So everybody knows what we're looking okay, at. Okay, cool. So here I have a table where I have my rigging tools for packing. And then it's a little, looks a little bit of a mess cause I'm just in the middle of uh, like four projects. Then there, there's the harness machine right there. It's a console, um, 733R-5. and um, It's a beast. If you can, yeah, if you could put your fingers under the foot right there, whatever you put under there, uh, it will uh, saw through it. Um, it has so much torque that if it grabs your bone, it will uh, it will just shatter it. Aye, uh, aye, aye. Then I have a um, bar tucker machine that is programmable. That This is my the latest machine I bought, so I can do relines quicker. Uh, I had another machine that is pretty awesome, uh, but this one here just allowed me to take about 20 to 30 minutes out of the reline. Okay. Uh, then I have a walking foot. That, that that one does most of the repairs on containers. Uh, then here you can see under the, what's the name, the Stormtroopers uh, cover. Yeah. That's my double needle where I do all the binding and stuff like that. Then I have uh, another one here with the Millennium Falcon cover. That is my normal zigzag. Uh, so that is actually the machines that I tend to use the most. Wow. And then I'll take you to my other room uh, <laughs> where, well, you know, and I, this I'm is, just running out of space. And, and this is home. <laughs> yeah, this is my house, by the way. Uh, and then here, like, you can actually see uh, this is where I store things. And I have not cleaned up because I've been gone for a while. Yeah. yeah. But here I have my canopy machine. It's just a normal um, a straight stitch uh, sure. feed dog. Super nice machine. Then I have that old bar tucker there. I think she's like 60 years old. Jesus. Beautiful machine. And uh, she used to do all the relines, but now I have her mainly for container work because she's a little bit heavier duty than the other one. Uh, then every single person, when they start rigging the career, uh, they, buy, they buy the first sewing machine. Let me move these things here. Uh, the, normally, the first sewing machine they get is called a Singer 20U. Okay. Uh, then console bought the rights to be able to build that sewing machine and uh, this is the console 20u but if you look inside of it it actually it's um it says 20u on it because they bought they bought the rights ah. and then here i have a long arm and this one allows me to do actually all the all the repairs on the containers without having to bend everything in a half sure and one of the most important things to have is always a uh, overlock to fix jumpsuits Jesus. 
You, how many sewing machines <laughs> do you have? Dos, cuatro, ten. <laughs> and then I have a Bernina that uh, she's not in. Uh, she's not on a table right now because I don't have a table for it. So yeah, wow. That you need ten. You need ten sewing machines to to do the majority of the work that I do. And I mean, there's, of course, there's more machines I would love to have, but hey. They're expensive. <laughs> well, yeah, and I thought just being a skydiver was expensive. But being a rigger, Jesus, I mean, you've got a small fortune just in machines in your house. Yeah. Jesus. So let me ask you, yeah. is is uh, being a rigger at your level something you would recommend to someone? If you have patience, uh, if you want to help people out and um, – you need to have the passion. Uh, if you do it for the money, I'm going to be honest with you, the money is okay. It's mm. not amazing. Uh, the liability that I have on any given day, uh, I can lose everything like that. Sure. Which so scary. It's Yeah, I mean, everything that I work for uh, could be gone in five minutes. Well, I, I think so, I know you well enough to know now, especially with your work ethic, the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. But uh, yeah, it's definitely still there. Yeah. I mean, every single time I give a rig after a repack or anything like that, uh, you know, um, give me one second, Dean. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I have a customer picking up a rig right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Awesome. Yeah. We want people jumping out of airplanes, right? Yes. Hey, who is it? Bring cool. them in. Bring them in. Uh, okay, I'll bring him in. John! Come! <laughs> this is perfect. It's uh, John and his wife right there. I think John is coming. Hey, buddy! You're going to be part of my podcast right now. <laughs> this guy is big deal. Um, <laughs> he actually... Remember I was telling you about customizing rigs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can actually see this puppy right here. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about your rig, uh, John. Uh, there's so uh, the describe what you're, looks good. Describe what you're talking so about. This is, um, I think it's called the night camo. What, what is the name of this color, John? Um, uh, multi, uh, night, night multicam or something like that. Right. Yeah. I don't remember. It's pretty cool, but you can actually see that the webbing doesn't have the yellow marks. It's black. Yeah. Cause he wouldn't like that. Uh, the <laughs> RSL tab, as you can see also is OD green to match the rig. All right. And, um, there's actually there's only one embroidery that says Vector because he didn't want to have anything to ruin his uh, beautiful uh, Vector 320 um, with an OP143 and uh, original Gangster by Fluid Wings 135. Awesome. Kind of looks good, by the way. You need to change the brake lines, but in the next 50 jumps. And uh, <laughs> uh, what's the name? And uh, yeah, everything is uh, pretty well matching. Uh, awesome. If I could actually make the blue Spectra ripcord uh, be OD green or black, he would take it. Uh, but I cannot change that because uh, I would be, you know, rebuilding a handle that, you know, I don't have uh, the rights to do so. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it's a beautiful so, rig, and I personally know the work you do quite well, so it's spectacular. Yeah, he wanted it, everything to be matching. My next thing is to get uh, black snaps to change that uh, silver one to black. <laughs> that is my next step. The soft stabs and the, parts. Huh? the soft stabilizers. Ah, yeah. Also, the safe stabilizers that you can see, they are actually matching everything. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Just nice. for him. Lovely. Because he's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, brother. Have fun. Uh, everything looks good. Um, you just need to change the brake lines within the next 50 jumps. Cool. The lower part of it, it looks awesome. like you're toggling a lot. And what a... Wait, wait. 
Uh, 70. We'll we talk later. Cool, brother. All right, be safe. Uh, did you grab this fluid bag? Yes. Ah, cool. Excellent. Be safe. Enjoy your day. I love it. We, so got a, we got a little behind-the-scenes peek uh, in uh, Pablito's <laughs> life right there. <laughs> now, <laughs> as we wrap up, the last thing I want you to do is tell everybody how they find your rigging services, how they find your rigging courses, how they find you. Uh, all right. Well, I'm super easy to find. Uh, it's uh, Pablito Perasoli uh, on Facebook. So Pablito is Papa Alpha Bravo Lima India Tango Oscar. And my last name is Papa Echo Romeo Alpha Zulu Zulu Oscar Lima India. Uh, you can send an email to me at uh, Papa Papa Echo Romeo Alpha Zulu Zulu Oscar Lima India at gmail.com uh, or I think my Instagram is pubsp uh, there would be papa alpha bravo uh, sierra I'm looking in Instagram right now to see what my <laughs> thing is so it's a uh, my Instagram is papa alpha bravo sierra papa and uh, that is the easiest way to find me and uh, if you want my phone number uh, don't give yeah, your phone send number send <laughs> <laughs> send send me send me a message uh on facebook and uh if i like you i'll give it to you <laughs> nice and they can they can find that uh, beautiful mustache in person jumping at the land yes it's got the land uh it's got uh eloy well if i'm there in eloy i'll, I'll go to jump there uh but yeah no maybe it's uh, in florida it's got the land it's got sebastian awesome. those are the places that I'll probably be, be jumping the most awesome. you know well, so yeah, it's good. Pablito, I, I can't thank you enough for taking part of your busy schedule and giving it to me and shooting the shit with me and talking rigging and all this fun stuff. As always, it's wonderful to see that face. I wish I was there so I could twirl that mustache just a little bit. <laughs> Anytime you want, brother. brother you want. Man, I love you. Thank you so much for talking. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, I, I am grateful. And uh, every single time like you ha- ask me to do this, like... Uh, my heart just, just smiles. Oh, you know, well. I I tend not to show too much emotion because uh, you know that's how I deal with my own shit. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I was talking to, like I had a customer come, like it was like I think ten o'clock at night, and uh, she was like, "Oh man, you work hard." I'm like, uh, "You know how I deal with my problems?" And she's like, "How I work?" <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> uh, for me, it's therapy. Uh, rigging actually, um, if I had to sum it up, it's a therapy. Well, I good. Just, well, uh, I'm glad you put the therapy down long enough to shoot the shit with me then. Yeah. No, no I did. I, uh, from now, like actually after I finish with you, I have to patch a canopy. I have to re-harness a rig. And uh, we had somebody that had a not very good landing on a taxiway. And uh, he's going to spend a lot of money rebuilding his vector. <laughs> Ow. All right. Well, you got a little work to do. Yeah. Patch yeah, the so uh, patch the canopy so with pink just for me. Um. Trust me, I would love to, okay. um, but uh, not on this one. I can't. All right, fair enough. Well, patch a I, canopy I with to. with pink for me. I, I will do one. I will actually. I just actually did one on pink. Hold on a second. Look at that. Uh, let's. I think I sent a photo to the guy. Hold <laughs> on. No, seriously, dude. I just did. Hold on. Did I take a photo of it? Uh, it's not gonna well, be as. It's not gonna be as good as my. Oh, there that you is go. the canopy. Yeah, <laughs> it's pink. Yeah, but it's a pink canopy. No, you got to take one of these, one of these butch black and blue canopies, and put a big pink patch on it just for me. I'll do that for you. Right. I'll, I'll talk. To, I'll talk to. I'll talk to that guy because he he has a school, 
and uh, I'll say, hey, dude, I need to do this for a friend. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right, brother. Take care. Don't work too hard. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. Be Love safe. You. And everybody stay safe out there. It's a crazy world. And also, I'm out there. <laughs> All right. There you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. As always, brought to you by Fuck Yeah, Icarus Baby, NZ Aerosports. Brought to you by Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Go to Pussfoot.com, check it out, find out what it's all about. Summit Parachute Systems, Jarrett Martin giving awesome rigging courses and building badass pilot rigs. And me, I am the fucking pilot as always. You can find me at thefuckingpilot.net. You can get the links to this podcast and all the others there or anywhere you get your podcasts. But at the websites also where you can find both the books, the fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper. See you next time. 